Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of the Contextual Safeguarding podcast. My name is Carleen and I am a Professor of Social Work at Durham University where I work on the Contextual Safeguarding programme. For today's podcast, I'm joined by Martin Davis, Director of Families and Children's Services in Wiltshire, and Lisa Colombi, Contextual Safeguarding Coordinator for Wiltshire. And we're here to talk about different approaches for developing plans for young people impacted by harm beyond their families and family homes, and particularly developing conferences and planning pathways that support us to think about risk outside of the family home. In Wiltshire, as part of the Scale Up project, we run a series of pilots and one of them looked at developing a specific pathway for young people who were at risk of significant harm beyond their family homes. And Martin and Lisa are going to have a discussion with me today to summarise the learning from that process so far and why they even undertook the pilot in the first place. Hopefully it will give some good food for thought for senior leaders and managers who are thinking about the best way to coordinate plans for young people at risk of harm beyond their families. So welcome Martin and Lisa. Thank you. Hi. Hello, thank you for joining us today. Um, so we've just got a few questions and we'll just have a nice chat about this and hopefully it'll be really helpful for our listeners. So as I mentioned in my introduction, um, your department have been testing a particular alternative pathway uh, for planning and conferencing when young people are at risk of significant harm um, in extra familial contexts. Um, could you describe that pathway briefly before we talk about your motivation for introducing it? Yep, I can do that. Um, so I guess the actual pathway itself is, isn't too different from a traditional pathway for child protection. Um, if a young person is suspected or known to be at risk of significant harm, then the normal processes kick in. So we'd still do our Section 47 um, investigation and take it to um, the potential for a child protection conference. Um, but the difference is, is that it's, it's a whole different sort of setup as a conference. It's a conference called a Risk Outside the Home Conference that's set up quite differently and hopefully feels quite different to the young person and their parent carers and the professionals. Um, we've got other systems and structures in place to identify different forms of um, harm that young people might be experiencing outside of the home. So I suppose the kind of way we get alerted to that is a little bit different. But once that is known, then we would still um, take it through the traditional pathway to us uh, conference and reviewing service. Lovely, thank you. And can you just give a sense of why you were motivated to introduce this pathway in Wiltshire? What was it you were trying to achieve or address? I mean, I, I think, Carly, we, I mean, we were looking more generally at uh, our child protection, child in need processes in, in Wiltshire. We, at the same time, we had, had what we called a family led review of child protection. So we were working um, with families to really try to understand their experience of the, the child protection system um, and how we could work better with families to affect necessary change for the children. Um, and what we what, one of the things that we recognised in there was a real honesty required you know, kind of at every level about where risk lies um, and if you can be really honest about where where risk lies then you're going to be more accurate in your um, in, in your plan and your response for tackling that um, and, and what we recognized was that previously where we had risk outside of the home then kind of nine times out of ten we were holding that at a, a section 17 level so we, we were working through um, kind of sin planning um, and it left a, a level of um, of concern, risk, 
discomfort, reputational um, concern, um, and we recognised that we needed to kind of work together with partners to better understand that. And I think through doing that, it was the partnership work that, that got us to a space where we genuinely understood in a Wiltshire kind of context, um, where where that risk laid for, for some children, for a few children, relatively few children in, in Wiltshire. And it was very clear that it was at a statutory CP level um, and that if we responded in a statutory CP um, uh, way, we would be better able to protect. So working with partners, very basic things like alert systems on um, kind of health systems. So you know, we, we recognise that, that many of these children travel outside of Wiltshire, so they're beyond, beyond the bounds of Wiltshire Council and Wiltshire Police. Um, they're going to come up against other statutory agencies. How do those agencies recognise those children if they have contact with them? A and E, for example. Um, that this is a this is a child that we you know that we are concerned that is at you know, significant risk of uh, you know, imminent harm. Um, and it was it was also a way of kind of focusing the partnership, bringing the partnership together in terms of the statutory response. So we were asked, we knew that we'd be asking partners to work in a different way. We knew that we would be bringing different partners to the table. So our conferences involve a wider range of professionals than a traditional CP conference. Um, and we knew that we what we wanted to do um, was to be able to hold one another to account. So if you're doing it through a CP plan, um, it's on a statutory footing. Um, and and you 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 get the a level of engagement which perhaps is harder to achieve elsewhere. The other thing, Lisa and I were talking about this before before we met this morning. Um, and one of the things that we were recognising is that delivering this initiative in isolation is really difficult. So the broader work that we're doing around family-led review, um, we're doing work around transitional safeguarding. It, it it's making it's changing the conversation locally. Um, and, and what it's doing is it's changing the, the way in which um, the partnership views these young people. Um, so if you, you know, more and more when you're talking to, you know, kind of police officers, they will view these young people as young people who are at risk of harm. They're, they're victims, not perpetrators, and therefore they get a different response. Um, and and we, we think it was important that we put it on a statutory footing to really get that buy-in and, um, and the um, uh, the kind of the commitment and the delivery within a time frame that was going to be comfortable for us all. That's really, really helpful. Thank you, Martin. So you've started to allude to this in the answer to your question, but I didn't know if either of you wanted to add any more to describe really some of the key differences between the risk outside of the home pathway and a traditional child protection pathway. What would be some of the things that would be absolutely different? You've mentioned who might attend the conference. Are there other things that are different between the two? If I, if I come in first and then, and then Lisa picks up on the detail. For, for me, the biggest difference is is in the relationship that we have with the parents. Um, and so, so I, I mean, recently, so we do um, SMT um, case audits. So we did an audit recently um, and I, I was auditing um, a case that had gone through kind of wrath, talking to the social worker. Um, and one of the things which is, is, is really striking is the, is, the, is the level of engagement with the parents and the type of engagement the parents where you recognize that actually the risks um maybe not all of the risks but in the main the risks are outside of the home and actually what you have is a parent who feels incredibly disenfranchised um very powerless 
to try to affect change for their, you know, their son or daughter. Um, and actually, if you bring them into the partnership, that then you, you do have a different relationship. And actually, the plan at the end of that, you know, kind of the, the CP conference, um, or through the core groups that then, you know, go ahead and refine it, the, the plan looks different. The, the other thing that I really like is, is the scaling tool that we use. So, um, you know, what does good look like? What, what does safe mean? Um, and actually that's that's one that's that tool is really powerful from a practitioner perspective. That's what the practitioner was describing to me. They genuinely understood what um, they were seeking to achieve um, and the partnership understood what they were seeking to achieve. So rather than simply being action focused, it was very much outcome focused. This this is where we need to get to. And if these actions aren't taking us closer to Nirvana, um, we have to change the actions. So from a you know from a director auditing perspective, I'm I'm seeing a different practice um, kind of being established. Really interesting. And I'd just add to that. I suppose it was really important from the start that we were um, having conversations with parents about this new approach, so they really understood it. Because obviously, for some parents, there can be a little kind of um, worry or stigma around um, entering a child protection process. So um, every kind of parent and child who are going through this process, this you know, they have proper visits where it's been really explained to them. There's different paperwork that kind of outlines what we're trying to do. Um, and hopefully, the conference itself, as I said, does feel different. And I did observe one for the first time recently. Um, and it did feel different to a traditional child protection conference. Um, there was a really amazing engagement from the young person. And like Martin said, the scaling document itself was really, really helpful. So one of the, the things I spotted in that was um, identifying risk within this young person's peer group and their friendship. That was actually a real source of strength and safety for her as well. But we were able to talk that through and then come up with what kind of um, intervention might make that safer at the end. And that was part of the plan. So hopefully that, that child and the parent came away feeling you know, sort of their voices were heard and it was positive and they were involved in making that plan for making that space safer for them because obviously it was important as well as carrying some level of risk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, thank you. Um, so in terms of um, the pilot, you've been running it for a while now. Um, what are some of the key things you think people would need to consider before they started to introduce an approach like this? What are some of the steps you needed to take before you got to where you are now? Um, we did a lot of work on obviously um, being really clear on what the process would be and um, obviously I said about the paperwork and then the big thing was getting that message out there, making sure people knew and making sure um, you know, obviously the young person, the parent that, that were going to come to the conference, but also those partners like Martin's been talking about, you know, in the early days in the first couple, there were a few like, oh, we possibly didn't consider, you know, making sure that a, a certain person, the police actually knew because obviously the police is so wide. So making sure that that communication and understanding um, is really, really clear and out there so that we're in the best position we are when we actually start to trial this new approach. I think that's been um, really, really important. Is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think from a um, an organisational perspective, there were some you know, key discussions that we needed to have with the Department for Education, with Ofsted. Um, you know, we were embarking on something which is different. Um, we, we knew from the outset that some of these young people are going to be subject to these plans for some considerable time. Mm -hmm. I, I think you have to accept that. Um, and you, I was interested, if not worried, about what that might do to some of the data locally and how that might be interpreted by others. 
Um, and so to have, have the confidence to, to, to be able to do this, you know, we felt it was necessary to have those conversations with DfE and, and with Ofsted. What I would say is they were both really constructive conversations. Um, I think DfE were, were really quite sensible in the questions that they asked us. They asked us for our, you know, what our motivation was, what the pathway would look like, what evidence we were able to present that this was the right pathway. Um, they presented that to their safeguarding team for review. Um, we had a discussion with them and they, they wrote back to us. So, you know, that's that's in my that's in my drawer. You know, I've got that whenever we get inspected, you know, out it will come. Um, but, you know, also having those conversations at a regional level with with Ofsted, again, um, it was was really positive and it's a two way process. So we're able to feed back um, for, for Wiltshire. We are talking relatively small numbers in terms of the number of children that we're taking through Roth. And so again, what we recognised from the beginning was that we had to commit to this in the longer term. Um, so we were talking about, you know, kind of six monthly updates and reviews back to DfE, nothing more frequent than that. Um, and actually the, the first update we provided was very little to tell you. You know, I think by then we'd had one, one or two children going through the Roth process. Um, and actually, you know, we need to build that body of evidence um, so that we can, you know, kind of genuinely um, kind of review and have discussions about how to improve. But I think the other bit that I would say, Carleen, it's been really important for us not to do it in isolation. Mm. So having your support and your, your team support has, has helped us with, um, yeah, it's helped us to fine tune, it's helped us develop the pathway, um, but it's, it's given us confidence as well. Because wherever you step outside of something, you know, kind of more traditional, it can feel as though you're taking a risk. Um, and so, you know, being able to share that risk and, you know, genuinely to, to, to have that joint understanding has been really, um, it's been really key. So the conversations that we've had with DfE is if other local authorities are thinking about, you know, going down the same pathway, um, you know, linking up with authorities that have already done it. Yeah. Um, you know, it helps them to understand, but also kind of helps them, yeah, at political level, if 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 nothing else, to yeah, to explain to others, um, and to manage some of those sort of reputational issues or concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, it sounds like things have been going really well. You're starting to see a difference in terms of the types of plans that are being produced and and the level of engagement. Um. What some of what do you think some of the challenges are though that may remain unresolved at this stage in your pilot process? Is there anything that you think you still need to bottom out or more work is needed on for you to kind of feel like you've reached the end of the pilot and now this is a kind of a business as usual um, way of working for all children um, who might need a plan like this? Um, I would say I think because of the relatively low numbers, as Martin said, um, it's not it's not business as usual for some staff because they don't do them very often. So there's definitely something around uh, making sure that we're kind of allowing space for kind of reflection and kind of training opportunities for all the staff that are involved in that process um, and kind of regularly reviewing that. Obviously, when you've got um, you know staff turnover as well, we need to make sure that everyone's kind of aware of it so everyone's prepared. Um, the issue around relatively low numbers, I mean, we are, we are Wiltshire, we don't get a huge amount of cases that kind of reach, potentially reach that level but we have had discussions around our thresholds because there are quite a few cases that come through where there are concerns within the home as well and there are issues around parenting and it's what pathway then is the best to take um so we have you know we've got guidance around that but 
you know, on a day to day basis, that can still be quite a difficult decision. So um, there's potentially some work there to make that a little bit clearer based off the learning so far from the cases and the young people that have gone through. Um, and again, I would say, you know, the multi agency, we did a lot of work to kind of um, get the message out there about what we were doing and get people's buy in. But again, because there's turnover of staff and so many different people, um, we have to make sure that's that like, consistent. So that's kind of out there for all, all partners. Um, and I would say, although we are um, doing quite well in getting kind of different partners at the table in a conference, we could do better. We could be thinking more widely. We could be kind of, um, yeah, those non-traditional safeguarding partners, we're starting to get those attend, but we could be thinking a little bit more broadly about that because it's still, for some people, I'm sure, still feels a bit kind of, oh, I'm not sure about inviting the local park keeper to a conference and how would that work? So that's definitely an area I think um, to develop. And finally, because I've thought about this a lot, <laughs> um, that idea of the kind of resources to support those plans, because it is different. So it, it, it does require a different level of resource and engagement with certain partners to be able to deliver on that plan and make it really effective. Yeah, but, but I'd, I'd come in with um, with one other thing then kind of extend on something that Lisa's just said. Um, one of the things that we want to look at is, is how we extend this model um, so that we're not it's not just the preserve of kind of wrath at a section 47 child protection um, kind of level um, so that we're, we're, we're adapting the, the approach and, and using it kind of you know even at the early help end of the um, the, the spectrum um, so we, we can recognize that there are some young people who are getting drawn into um, and actually we need to be support, supporting them in a different way earlier so we need to take the learning which at the moment is um, is, is probably um, contained within a relatively small group of staff within the council or within families and children and, and extend that so that it becomes part of our kind of core offer it becomes part of the you know, kind of social work social care practice model um, so that's something that we can take out of the um, out of the pilot now um, and, and we will do the other thing for me just picking up on the resourcing issue so you know kind of large rural county um, you know different challenges you know, very different challenges to you know kind of an urban metropolitan um, local authority um, one of the challenges for us is is around um, you know kind of the diversionary activities based resourcing um, and what what we want to have is a is a whole kind of menu for practitioners to um, to be able to choose from um, and and but also the ability to kind of adapt and do new things you know to fit with you know, kind of individual children's needs um, and you know that requires some resourcing you know it, and it requires um, some considerable grey matter you know a lot of thought needs to go into this for us to get it right um, and it, again it's about how we how we use the, the pilot to um, to identify the resources which are going to be valuable you know kind of beyond the realms of kind of wrath and contextual safeguarding so again I am thinking transitional safeguarding I am thinking early help so so again it's that bit about it shouldn't be an it can't be an isolation it has to be part of a wider you know kind of transformation piece yeah absolutely thank you so You've shared a lot with us um, in this podcast um, and you've given already a lot of advice to people who might be wanting to develop <clears throat> a risk outside of the home process. <coughs> Excuse me. Is there any final bit of advice you'd give um, to a senior leader or manager who's thinking, I like the sound of a risk outside of the home pathway, I want to do it. Um, I wish and you don't want them thinking I wish I'd known this before I started. You may not have any other gems of wisdom because you've given us a lot already, but if there is anything else you'd like to add, please do. 
Um, I, mean, I, I think one, one of the things that would strike me is, is, it, is it, you need to have a champion for this work. Um, so Lisa has been our, our champion and, and, you know, consistently our, our champion throughout. And I'm not just saying she sat next to me, um, but, you know, the, the, the world that we live in, you know, the world of social care, of social work is is really busy. You know, th there's lots of different priorities and they're often they often compete against one another. There are never enough resources to go around um, and your, your workforce is, is your is your biggest asset. Um, and most local authorities, you know, uh, struggle in that regard in terms of kind of recru recruitment caseloads, et cetera, et cetera. It's being, for me, it's being able to find that dedicated resource um, and and to, to be able to um, uh, invest in it. So, so, so I think, I mean, Lisa may say something different. I, I think we've been able to invest in that resource. We've been able to protect it. Um, and to enable it to really become a, the, the, the sort of the champion, and it's having that champion and, and those champions across your kind of you know, partner organisations, which will see us through, um, because kind of no matter where the pilot goes and you know kind of changes of leadership, et cetera, et cetera, actually there is it's now part of the custom and practice. It's part of our culture. And and I would just add to that, and um, from my experience, having the support at, of senior management has just been absolutely integral, and it's been brilliant. Like Martin and all the other senior managers and the people in our steering group, um, they've been you know they've been asking the right questions and challenging when we've come up with some ideas, but they all the way they've been supportive of us doing something different. Um, so that's been really really important for the people on the ground actually delivering this work to know that they've got that kind of support at a senior manager level. So I would definitely recommend that. Thank you so much. They sound like really two critical pieces of advice. And I think as the research that's been involved in tracking the work, I can absolutely see uh, the importance of having someone championing and overseeing the work on the ground and having that senior leadership, not even just support and buy in, but understanding of what it is people are trying to achieve. And I think um, that's been really evident in the work in Wiltshire. So thank you, Martin. Thank you, Lisa. I hope um, all our listeners enjoyed this podcast. Feel free uh, to download it, share it and listen to any other of the contextual safeguarding podcasts we've produced for you in this series.